How's the sound tonight? Does it have any fuzz to it? It's okay? Okay. So if it gets fuzzy, start waving your hand up and I'll know why you're doing that. Thank you. Um, So tonight I would like to add some information about practice to what we've been pointing at for the last number of days, which is about just being here and seeing the truth of what's here and the freedom that's possible that Howie was pointing at last night that's here right now. And I've found, though, that having, sometimes having more context of what we're doing can help us relax and be here right now. And that simplicity of being that Howie was pointing to quite beautifully last night is already here. And sometimes we forget. We forget what's here or what's true. Or we're not even aware of it sometimes. And so we're learning to be aware. And there's a paradox that seems inherent in the practice itself because we're doing something to not do anything. You, you all get that? And that's a really beautiful part of the Dharma, is the paradox itself. And we can do something to simply be. And the main teaching that what's called mindfulness practice comes out of is the Satipatthana Sutta. And I actually meant to bring the book that the Satipatthana is in the Majjhima Nikaya, but I forgot. But I have enough of the Majjhima here. I have enough of the Satipatthana Sutta here to serve our purposes, to learn how it was originally given to us from the Buddha. What, what did the Buddha say, as far as we can tell, given from what's been handed down for a few centuries? And the four foundations are the mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of Vedana, of feeling tone, mindfulness of the heart-mind, citta, and mindfulness of dharmas, mindfulness of the truth. And, and dharmas goes two ways. It's the truth of the Buddha's teachings, and it's the truth of reality. And the instruction in each one has some, some specificity that's really helpful for being here. So I want to go through some of the specifics and see how it lands with you, see what you get from it, and see what we learn from it. And so I'm going to read you the first part of the Satipatthana, not the first part, but when the the foundation of mindfulness and it's taught this way in it, the 
Buddha said, in this way, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body. And of course, he says the same thing for Vedana, for heart, mind, for dharmas. He said, so you can substitute any of those for body, but I'm just working with the body one, and I like to, because as I said um, in the first talk, I want to remind you, and I want to remind you again, to feel, sense, be aware of your body while you're listening. Make that as important as hearing me, your, so that your somatic, kinesthetic, energetic presence is alive here, and you're aware of it. You feel it or you sense it. And it's very relaxed. You don't have to do a lot. You, it just means feeling your body. But that changes the orientation. It's not just in the head center, but it's in the body center as well as the heart center and head center. <clears throat> and so he said, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body internally, one abides contemplating the body externally, or one abides contemplating the body both internally and externally, which a little bit you're doing right now. If you're paying attention to your body, you're aware of it internally. And if you're aware of me, you're aware of a body externally. And you may be aware of your body in space, which is also externally. And so you're just in a very relaxed way, aware of the body internally and externally. And then he goes on, he says, or one abides contemplating the nature of the rising in the body or the nature of uh, passing away uh, in the body. Or one abides contemplating both the nature of both arising and passing away in the body. And then he, he, and then he simplifies from there and says, or mindfulness that there is a body is established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And, he says, and this is a little the punchline that I'll talk about more, he says, and one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. One abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. This is how, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body. So this is a Satipatthana Sutta, and it has four, as I hear it, it has four principles that are important, um, uh, that, that are also acknowledged. One abides contemplating it diligently, ardently, uh, heartfully. These are inherent in the bigger sutta. One abides ardent, which is a beautiful word for practice. It's a, it's a heartfelt practice. One gives oneself to practice. One, or you could say devotes oneself to practice or dedicates oneself to practice. And it's from the heart. It's because we care about something that we do this. And it, we could say we care about freedom or we care about awakening or we care about what's called the sure heart's release in Buddhism, which is a euphemism for liberation. And this is one of the principles. And then one abides um, fully aware, clearly knowing 
is the same word, fully aware and clearly knowing. So oh, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't finish one piece. It wasn't in here. It's in here. Um, um, so one abides in regard to the body. One one contemplates the body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, free from desire and discontent in regard to the world. Sorry, I left out a key part, but it's here now. And then he does the same with feelings, with heart, mind, with dharmas. One abides contemplating dharmas, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in the world. And so the ardency is what I mentioned. That's one key principle of what we're doing here. You've all already have that heartfulness that's brought you here. Whether you know what you're getting into or not, something in your heart brought you here. And again, remember heart, mind are the same word. Someone in, something in your chitta brought you here. And then um, we practice fully aware, which is also translated as clearly knowing. So we're just here and we're aware. And we're aware of what's here. And we're aware that we're aware of what's here. And then we're mindful, which I think you all know what that means. Maybe. <laughs> but uh, but I, like, I was actually talking with my colleagues about this, the, the word mindful is actually a Christian word that Thomas Rice Davis took in 1881 from the St. James, oh, we're having problems again, huh? Okay, good, thank you for the wave. How about that, is that better? Okay, good. Good, this system works, I appreciate that. Um, so, Thomas Rice Davis in 1881 took the word mindful from the St. James Bible and put it on meditation. Like that's how he interpreted what was being learned from uh, uh, people who'd come back from Asia and were teaching about mindfulness, what then became called mindfulness. And in the dictionary, the, the word mindful means a quality or state of being or be of being conscious or aware of something, which is, you know, that's a pretty good definition. And it also says uh, mindfulness means focusing one's awareness on the present, on the present moment. Let's see if we can, how about now? We're good, keep waving. Um, it's like being on Zoom, and now we all wave on Zoom, and so we're getting attached to, to the Zoom wave. So, um, and so mindful, right, is to be conscious or aware of something and what's happening in the present moment. And then the last part, free from desires and discontent, discontent in regard to the world. And that's something you've done by coming here. You've a little bit um, stepped out of your usual world and entered a slightly different world, a different culture that here is called Spirit Rock and, or is traditionally called a, a retreat center or a monastery. 
or somewhere where the orientation is not just about the usual wants or not wants of daily life, but they're about paying attention to what's sitting in your seat right now, even as you're listening to me, paying attention to your body and the liveness that's sitting here, paying attention to your heart and your mind and what's happening, what you think, what you feel, and paying attention to the space in which it's all happening. And so you're, you're letting go, free from the desire and discontent in regard to the world. You're letting go of that. And so this is with the, each teaching of, in the first foundation, with the body, with the breath, with all activities, which is what we're doing now. This is one of the body um, uh, instructions in the first foundation, speech and listening, right? And then, uh, and then the other foundations, the uh, Vedana, the feeling tone, or the heart mind, or the Dharma. Um, <clears throat> Then the other piece that I read, right, about the body, internally, externally, uh, rising, passing, and one abides contemplating the nature of both, and then one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. And so I'll name these few things again, internal, external, both, what's happening here and there, right, which I said, but also what's contemplating the nature of the rising and the passing and both. And so right here in this moment, we can continue to contemplate the impermanent nature of reality, that there's nothing permanent here now. It's all arising and passing, our experience of the body, our experience of the mind, our experience of the Dharma, our experience of each moment. It's just this. And even this is arising and passing. It's a nice one. It looks good from here to see this, but but it's just arising and pal, you know, my arms going up and down, hand opens, hand closed. Just there's nothing static in reality. And that's part of what we're coming into alignment with the way things are. Hmm. And part of the simplicity of the Dharma is we're coming into alignment with not just being not just being that okay, yeah, not just being in the present moment, but the presence of heart mind that I would say Howie was pointing at last night that is aware of the present moment. We start to, what we're doing here is using the structure, the teachings of the Buddha and the different beautiful, wow, it's just totally bizarre, huh? 
Okay, how about now? Can you still hear me okay? Is you're going to fix me? <laughs> Please. How's that? Oh, good, good. Even I can hear it pretty good. How's the sound? Okay, and just keep waving, you know, when it... What? Is it, is it okay with you? Still staticky. Would you like to try different... Pardon? Would you like to try something different? Sure, I'll try anything. <laughs> Okay, how about now? Harder to hear. Wait, let me let me turn it off while you're moving it. It'd be a little more gracious. One, two, three, four. It's on, but it's very hard to hear. Can we turn it up a little bit? You can hear it. You can hear it good? Okay, I can't hear it good, but it's okay. I'm talking, so. Okay. So simplicity of Dharma, the structure supporting us to just be here. Um, uh, and to wake up and realize who and what we are and who and what we might not be, which also Howard was talking about, pointing at the what's called not-self in Buddhism. And I have my own ways to point at it that I really think are helpful, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a Eugene trick for, for learning about not-self. You ready? Is that okay? So here, do you... Were you all born? Anybody here who was not born? Right, okay, everybody was born. Do you remember back in the crib when they were pointing at you and they were saying, oh, look what, and they were, here, I'm going to use myself as an example. They used to point at me and they used to say, oh, look at Eugene, look, he's happy now or he's sad now, he's crying or he's hungry or he needs to be cleaned up or, you know, and they kept pointing at me and talking to me like that, right? And, you know, they used to talk to you like that, but they used your name. They were sophisticated, <laughs> right? Okay. So I'm lying there and they're pointing at me and saying all these things and I'm looking around like, where's Eugene? Because I didn't, I wasn't Eugene when I was born. Were you your name when you were born? What were you before you got an identity? That's what's being pointed at in the not-self experience. There's something here that is not based on an identity that we were given and that we took on. It's good. I mean, Eugene's a good identity. I like Eugene and he's a good guy. But that's not all that's here. There's something more that's here that's not Eugene. 
And I could tell a lot of stories about that, but not today. So, um, sati, right? Sati patana, sati patana. Really, the word comes from sati upatana. is a is the etymological word that patana comes from, and sati um, is the verb indicating presence. The verb is sati, and the presence is upatana. So it's about establishing a presence of heart and mind, right? A presence of awakeness, right? And it's said, this is from Sairao Analyo, Piku Analyo. He said, it can be understood that mindfulness itself, being present, can be understood to imply a presence of mind. Right, presence of mind in the sense that endowed with sati, one is wide awake to the in regard to the present moment. And this presence leads to a broad and even boundless state of heart and mind. That's just knowing. And that sense of presence is already here, actually. Whether you recognize it or not, it's already here. And as I said before, remember the whole dharma's right here. Or as um, um, St. Francis of Assisi put it in his own words, he said, what you are looking for is what is looking. What you are looking for is what is looking. And that's beautiful dharma in my understanding. Beautiful way to point at the awareness that is already aware and knowing and is actually infinite in a certain sense. Another way sometimes we were talking in one of the small groups today about awareness and being aware of awareness. And one way that it's often pointed at is to move back. Be aware of what you're aware of and then move back and be aware of what's aware of what you're aware of. I hope I'm saying that clearly enough. And so even now you're, you know, hopefully you're aware of me or you're aware of what you're thinking and feeling and then move back and be aware of what's aware of that. Because then we're talking about something that's also not self but is bigger than what's called their small sense of self. So the presence of mindfulness that I'm pointing at now is not about doing something. It's about awakening to what it is to be, to the human, the beingness of human being. And that beingness of being a human being is not a thing. It's a presence is a better word for it. And then I want to also talk a little more about what I said, that line that I think is so beautiful in the teaching of Satipatthana. One abides independently, not clinging to anything in this world, 
and of course it's a it's a reflection that we all will have what does it mean not to cling right and i'm sure you all have your thoughts about it and ideas or experience of it actually and i thought i would just read to you a little bit it's an old um hymn in the black tradition that's very beautiful that's all about not clinging or the other term we could use for not clinging is letting go and the the hymn went um which many of you know glory glory hallelujah glory glory hallelujah glory glory hallelujah since i laid my burdens down and that's such a concise and it's a longer song a beautiful song hymn but it's so pointing at something the freedom of letting go of suffering of burdens of everything of whatever we're holding on to right and so and it's beautiful cuz it's there's a kind of glory or we probably would say freedom that comes or we could even say simplicity of being that reveals itself when we let everything go and we we dwell independent not clinging to anything in this world Ajahn Chah said it this way he said even if your house is flooded or burnt to the ground whatever the danger that threatens it let it concern only the house if there's a flood don't let it flood your mind and heart if there's a fire don't let it burn your heart let it be merely the house that which is external to you that is flooded and burned allow the mind to let go of its attachment the time is ripe he says and that's a beautiful understanding of what happens in practice right we let go we let things be we don't hold on or or the one of the words that's used is there's a release and of course a synonym for release synonym 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 for release is liberation and that's a beautiful understanding of why we come because i believe we all are looking for something freedom the sure heart's release us love goodness the end of our suffering even a little end of our suffering right hmm. and it's so simple at a certain level because it's just now and that now does not last because nothing is permanent and so we end up re re clinging or the another way we can, i say it is 
we may be clinging, we may let go of stuff, but it keeps clinging to us. Again, okay. <laughs> How about now? Better? Good. See, it's easy sometimes. Um, and so clinging or grabbing or holding on or being attached to or being identified with or um, reifying, concretizing that which is impermanent or, or trying to create, create stasis out of what is unstatic. And really, I, I believe you all know the difference between stasis and ecstasis, right? Ecstasis is translated as ecstasy, actually. And it's beautiful when we let go that kind of ecstatic experience of just being and not doing. And this is it. The Buddha said, you can only lose what you cling to. That's a good paradoxical teaching. You can only lose what you cling to. He also said, whatever is not yours, let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-term happiness and benefit. And so one of the reflections we can do here and do do here is what, what do you cling to or what clings to you? And of course, one of the biggest things that we are talked about in the group, one of the biggest things we talked about in the group today was self-judgment. Anybody have any self-judgment while you were here about being a meditator or anything? Okay, good. So you could give that to me, I'll put it in the bowl, and we can take it outside and burn it, okay? But it's, and I'm kidding, but it's not a joke, actually. It's very painful self-judgment. And it's very um, predominant in, especially Western culture, maybe also in Eastern culture, I don't know, or other cultures around the world, but definitely in this culture, meaning the bigger United States of America culture, it's very predominant uh, in the kind of egocentric, uh, you know, top dog culture that the United States is part of the United States is, is self-judgment. Because if, if everything's not good, it's your fault as if that's true, right? Which it's not. And also the self-judgment is not based in the Dharma. It's not based in the truth. I'm making an assumption here. Tell me if I'm wrong. Everybody's here doing the best they can. Anybody not doing the best they can? Usually somebody raises their hand, but, <laughs> but, but usually they raise their hand because it's the judge speaking, no, I'm not really doing that. I could be doing better. If you could be doing better, I believe you would be doing better. I actually believe each of us is doing the best we can, and we don't appreciate the goodness of, our, of ourselves, of who and what we are. And we want to get rid of that kind of judgment or 
the the term that's used in Buddhism a lot is about having a precious human birth. And each of us has a precious human birth. And that preciousness is not just at birth. It's here now, that preciousness. How, you know, if you're, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, that preciousness is here. It's part of the magic of life that is alive here. Time, okay. Um, So here's one of the questions that can be helpful to reflect on is what will happen if you don't cling to anything, even for a minute? Like don't cling to your identity for a minute. Don't cling to your self-judgment for a minute. Don't cling to your ego for a minute. Don't cling to doing anything right or wrong for a minute. Don't cling to your thoughts for a minute. Just a minute. Like not too long. I could time you all too and see what happens if you don't cling for for 30 seconds what's here. And of course, this is the paradox is don't cling to not clinging either, right? Because anything can be clung to, even spirituality, right? Even the teachings can be clung to. And then the paradox that I believe I mentioned the other night, uh, which is we actually can't hold on to anything. Did I say that here in the big group? Somebody's got a yes or no me. Give me a no, you don't remember. That's maybe. (laughs) That's good. It's good that I'm saying it now. Thank you. So here, and this is really the truth. We actually can't hold on to anything. The belief that we can hold on to things is part of our delusion that all of us have, that we can hold on to stuff. And I mean, I can hold on to this piece of paper, but not really, because after a while, I'm going to get tired of holding on to this piece of paper. And you're going to say, oh, no, you said you could hold on to it. Hold on to it. So after 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours, I'm going to be, I'm not holding on, right? Because nothing is static in reality. Nothing is permanent. There's nothing we can hold on to, actually. We can, I can hold on to the paper for a minute, right? But ultimately, there's nothing I can hold on to. And I believe there's nothing we can hold on to. We can't hold on to jobs. We can't hold on to... Uh, remember the world before COVID-19? Right, we we can't, we couldn't hold on to that, and we all wanted to, right? I mean that that world went, right? And that happens with many worlds, not just the world of health, 
but the world of age, the world of sickness, the world of life, right? We can't hold on to life. It's all coming and going. It's all doing this. And the Buddha said, if you get this one truth, the truth of impermanence, you will be free. And so we're letting go. We're coming into harmony with the way reality is. We're letting go. We're not holding on. We're, we're just relaxing with the way things are. We're being simple. We're simply being with the way things are. We're not changing something or fixing something. And we're letting go of what we don't like. And we're letting go of what we do like. Because we can't hold on to anything. This is a beautiful poem from William Blake. He said, one who binds themselves to a joy does the winged life destroy. One who binds themselves to a joy does the, we- does the winged life destroy. But one who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. I mean, that is... Good dharma, in my opinion, really. Beautiful dharma, right? The beauty of the magic of reality, of this moment here, right? We can't keep it, we can't hold on to it, but we could love it in this moment. Or in a more traditional way, Arjun Chah said, if you let go a little, you will have a little happiness. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of happiness. And if you let go completely, you will be free. And he was, he was pretty good at that, Ajahn Chah. He was a pretty relaxed guy and really, uh, and was not, he even knew how to let go of Buddhism which is pretty good for a Buddhist teacher and, and quite a revered teacher from Thailand. I, Jack Cornfield used to tell this story about how he, he had been a monk with Ajahn Chah for a number of years and after being, living here and teaching here, he went back and he was telling him some of the difficulties people had, especially with religion. People didn't want to be religious because they had reactions to their religions of origin and uh, or, or or oh no to, to um, being disrespectful to their religion of origin that's what it was and so Ajahn Chah said well uh, if you need to call it Christianity call it Christianity just teach them the same thing call it Christianity because <laughs> he didn't care about Buddhism he cared about us and reality, and the truth, and what was real, and what was uh, freeing for people, for humans like us.
and it how's the sound? Is it still okay? Good. Okay. And then there's a poem from my teacher, Rio Khan. Rio Khan is really one of the teachers who's impacted me almost as much as anybody. He's a Zen monk, poet, and beautiful being, and uh, very simple, very humble, and uh, and just it's simple, humble. Is that okay? Yeah. Now still, you don't like it, still okay. <laughs> Coming and going. Okay, how about now? Better. Okay, good. Um, Rio Khan is very simple, beautiful human being who lived a very simple life. He was a, a, a Zen master, you know, monk uh, in, I think, the 18th century. Could have been 1700s. And yeah, 18th century. And uh, and his his teachings are just profound and simple and direct. And uh, he said, he said, um, the Buddha is your mind, and the way goes nowhere. <laughs> just that I should stop there. That's such a great line. The Buddha is your mind, and the way goes nowhere. And he goes on, don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you arrive? So he, he weaves in the paradox of teaching, right? But he's pointing to the simplicity of being. The Buddha is your mind. The whole Dharma is right here, like Munindraji would say. And it's true. It's right here. It's sitting in your seat. And you're, we're turning our attention or we're moving back and looking at the whole show because it's all right here. This is where waking up happens. This is where freedom happens. This is where suffering and the end of suffering happens. And you don't get to the end of suffering without suffering. I want to be clear about that. Everybody got that? Right? It's, it's, it's our dream sometimes that just boom and we're done. And maybe that happens, you know, once every 5,000 years for somebody. But for most of us, it's a little more what's called the gradual path. And Theravada is famous for the gradual path step-by-step, day-by-day, moment-by-moment, freedom unfolding. I'm trying to decide what to end with. Um, This is from Thich Nhat Hanh. He said, enlightenment is always here. Always here. 
small enlightenment will bring great enlightenment. It's a beautiful way he's saying it because he's pointing it's not one thing. There are little enlightenments and there are big enlightenments. There's little understanding and then there's more understanding can happen. He said, if you breathe in and aware and are aware you are alive, that you can touch the miracle of being alive, then that is a kind of enlightenment. If you can touch the miracle of what's here. And the miracle is right here. And right now the miracle is thinking and looking and feeling and having whatever thoughts and feelings and reactions are happening that you aren't even doing, but they're all doing themselves. I always love that part of what's here is when we see, oh, the thoughts just do themselves, that we can't stop them. The feelings do themselves. The sensations do themselves. And it's a miracle. Life itself is a miracle. And we are life. Just like the miracle when we see a little flower coming out of it shoot. It's just a, it's like it's a little miracle. Just like we are. So I hope the retreat is supporting your miracleness. <laughs> or, or maybe to say it a little more accurately, I hope you get to appreciate the beauty and goodness of your miracleness here. And also the great blessing that all we have to do is be here and we're not going anywhere because we're really in the heart of the retreat. So give yourself fully to your miracleness today, tomorrow, however long we're going to be here. Let's sit for a minute before we end. And you can sit very relaxed, very simple. Just feel the, feel the life that's here. Be aware of the aliveness that's here.
Thank you for your kind presence. Please continue your practice. There'll be a period of walking and then a period of sitting. And please don't wait till we move. You can wait as long as you want, but you don't have to wait. Thank you.